back here to another fantastic edition of the official 615 podcast brought to you by good friends at Wilson County Hyundai. Check them out online at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. Only do this show with one person, and it's the great Greg Pogue. And Greg, once again, we have a fantastic guest. It is one also, though, we want to thank all the folks here. Omni Nashville Hotel, Music City, Todd Rotornail, Rotornail, uh, Kitchen Notes, uh, just everything that's going on here at Omni Nashville. And each week they open up their arms and let us idiots come in and, and act like we know what we're doing. But the, <laughs> the official 615 podcast. And yeah, some, are, some are good. Some are really good. Some mean something to you. I've been fortunate enough to become friends over the years. I don't know why, uh, <laughs> but with uh, Trent Jewett, Killer Bees, his, his lovely wife, Corporate Terry, and the Discovery Channel with the Moonshiners. He has really been the core of the stand-up comedy scene in this city going back to the 80s, zanies. If you look on the side of that building, there's a caricature of him prominently displayed and just uh, a, a good guy on top of everything else, Killer Bees. How are well, you, buddy? Hey, thank you for having me on, man. It is an honor to be on the 615 podcast. It's official. official. I love that, man. It's the 615 official. Is that it? Yeah, the official 615 podcast. Official 615 you know podcast. You know why? Because you said so. You're dang straight. <laughs> I love that, man. Nashville is near and dear to me. Way back in old timey days, Zanies brought me from Jackson, Mississippi up to Nashville and uh, uh, managed me. I had a little place out in Ashland City, Tennessee. Ooh. And this is where my career first started to pop. So it is a a, a heartwarming trip every time I come to Nashville. And, of course, Greg, you've had me doing stuff with you for several years now. And Big Joe, you as well yeah. back in the day. So uh, a treat for me to be here. What was – had you been to Nashville before you ever came to Zanies? No. Then? No, so you had no idea. I had no idea. I came up and did back then on Tuesday nights. It was a week long club. They were Tuesday through Sunday back then. And, and on Tuesday nights, they had an open mic night. So I came up and did their open mic night. It was my uh, my first time to, to come to Nashville. And I was a fairly new comedian, but I had a lot of shows under my belt. And I came in and did a really good open mic night. I had a little bitty tape record, a little bitty cassette recorder and I would record my show and I can remember to this day when I played back that tape the MC that night a guy named Mike West a really good comic goes okay well your next guy up is uh, he calls himself Killer Bees and they're you know and I went up and I did my seven minutes and at the end of that seven minutes on that tape the audience is like wow and he's like that was Killer Bees and that was when it started right then. That was when the rise started. And so it was a really neat thing. So I did two more open mic nights came up, and that's when they approached me and went, man, we need you to move up here. We want to, we want to make you nationwide. So well, Nashville, yeah. Nashville. And here's the thing about it. Way back then, whenever, and really still today, when comics start getting some notoriety, the 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 thought especially back then was you've got to move away and go to LA or New York well I have a cousin who was a screenplay writer that called me he goes look man he goes I know you're fixing to make a move he goes have you thought about Nashville which and which I hadn't you know he goes man he goes they've got national tv they make movies there's record deals he goes go to Nashville they won't 
shun you because of your accent and you won't have to stand in line behind a hundred thousand people that don't have that same gift. So I came to Nashville and immediately uh, hit, I think in 84 or so, I was Nashville Scenes of Magazine's best new act in Nashville and uh, got a hundred appearances on TNN and CMT yeah. under my belt. So this this is the, the city where I really popped and, uh, and, and, and where I really went pro. So it's always, always a wonderful experience just to come back to the town. Wait, you have an accent? They they tell me I do, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I sound Italian, like this. Hey, what are y'all doing? Them uh, <laughs> some good grits. <laughs> Mama, stop beating that dog. It didn't mean nothing. Now, so, forty years later. Forty years later. Friday night, Grand Ole Opry. Eighth appearance. Eighth appearance at uh, the Opry. Um, I mean, come on, man. I mean, that is, and what a great, great, great venue. What a great, the, you know, people ask me, what's it like? Is it nerve wracking? Is it scary? You know, cause it's a high profile gig. And of all the big quote unquote, big gigs I've done, it is the easiest and the most joyful experience because that audience is a bucket list. It's a bucket list thing for people to come to the Grand Ole Opry yep. and they come from all over the world and all corners of of our country and they've you know they're vested man they've invested time and in thinking about it and planning it and saving up and and coming to that show so that is an audience that truly wants you to crush they want everybody whether they've heard of them or not heard of them or not that comes onto that stage they want that person to to be great so and there's no pressure. There's no pressure. <laughs> well, literally, it is, you know, and, and before my first one, I'm like, man, this is, you know, it, but as soon as I walked on stage that first time, I mean, I'm halfway to that hallowed circle in the middle and they're cheering. Wow. Yeah. Like, wow. So it is the least stressful wow. gig because, because that place that just everybody wants you to do good. There's none of that sit there with their arms crossed yeah, and right. making me laugh stuff. It's like, yeah, here's the next act. When was the first time you did the Opry? Um, the year before the pandemic. So 2019-ish? Yeah, yeah. We had several appearances. They were working on us, and I did the first one, and then the pandemic hit. Uh. So we had to wait all this time. But I did six more just in 2021. Look at you. Yeah, and so and so now I'm back again this this Friday night. Who, who so, did you fall? You didn't fall like a Vince Gill, did you? Or man, like, I've oh. worked with uh, oh my gosh, Gatlin Brothers. Yeah. There, um, I was on with Jelly Roll. Yes, you know, Je I, I was on that show. He's massively popular. He's yeah, massive. He is popular. huge. Yeah, he is. And crushed, <laughs> crushed, crushed. So. So it's about and Sarah, Sarah Evans, just everybody, uh, uh, everybody, everyone, every everybody, because they have nothing but great. I'm the worst one they have, and I'm great, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So Trace Atkins did Trace there, but I'd worked with him before and stuff. But so it's really, really a neat thing. You, you're on that that blowtorch of WSM that goes all over. United States of America. So not only are you doing the Opry, but you're getting blasted out across the country. Yeah, well, Bill Cody and I have a lot of history back when I was doing TNN and CMT. Yeah. We would do fanfare. Remember that way, way back? 
we would do that together for it was either TNN or CMT. I get them mixed up because we did so many. But he and I have a long history together, so it's always a treat oh, that's and like great. a homecoming, just like to come see Greg. It's like a home, and you, it's like a homecoming to come see Bill. So, so it's really been a neat thing. So now, forty years, two stints, two angioplasties later. Whoa. So um, I'm just having a ball, man. The time of my life. Happiest, best I've ever been. That's good. Greg, I told him, uh, this is over Christmas. I fell asleep one night on the couch. I wake up, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning, and he's on my TV. I'm thinking, what's going on here? And it was an episode of Moonshiners <laughs> that was playing, and I, you know, I was like, what, am I dreaming? What's happening here? <laughs> I just thought that was very cool. And there you were. Well, that's been a lot of fun, man. It, it, those of y'all who have not heard of it, the Discovery Channel, who's a really cool network, I'm glad to be hooked up with him, has a show called Moonshiners. The show is in its 11th season. I'm in season number six for me. But I actually get to make moonshine in the woods with hillbillies on camera. <laughs> and I'm like, what could go wrong? Oh, but yeah. it is it is really neat. I don't get a whole bunch of episodes each season, but I play the character Killer Bees, the comedian. So it is such a such a neat thing to get to do that. And and it's impressive. It's intriguing to me the chemistry and the physics that's involved in the, and I quote, covert distillation of non-taxed artisan spirits <laughs> in a non-disclosed location. Uh, just this, how smart these quote-unquote hillbillies are. These, you know, they're overalls and spit cups, but they are geniuses, man. They can build anything. They can fix anything. And uh, they are good, good people. So another blessing. You are coming out with your own. Tell us about that. That is correct, man. I have uh, signed with two different distilleries, uh, South Mountain Distillery in North Carolina and Adventure Distilling in East Tennessee. And in the next couple of months, I guess, I guess as soon as we get all our permits approved, we've already got the uh, the the recipe and the ingredient list. And you have to send in your recipe and your label. So we've got all those done. So we're now we're just waiting for the red tape part of it. But uh, the, the moonshine is called Appalachian Ambrosia. Killer Bees Appalachian Ambrosia. And we're uh, kind of shooting for the female demographic on that. Because I know a lot of cats are out there selling. They're shining. It's real high proof and, and kind of strong to drink. So this is a... You could call it a frou-frou drink. You you could do that. But uh matter of fact, on the label, it has she shared approved. <laughs> so so we're really excited about that, man. So uh, so well, that'll what, be out. What has this done for your career? I mean, we know you for comedians. I've seen these zanies dozens and dozens of times. But what has being on Moonshiners done for your career? It's really helped the name recognition. You know, and way back in old timey days, Joe, when I started out, all you had to do was be really good. You know, if you were really good at your art form, the word of mouth would spread and you would, would create a following. You know, this day and age, unless you're on TV or in the movies or have a huge uh, social media following, you're lost in the shuffle. Yeah. So it has really, really, all these years into the business, kind of been a reboot. So that is has helped me tremendously. 
it gives me it gives gives me a whole world of other things to talk about on stage for one because that's what I do on stage. I talk about things I've seen or done or have happened to me. I'm not one of these great creative guys that can come up with stuff. I just tell stuff that I know about and do in a funny way. I think that's, you know, that's kind of what I do. And so it has really given me more fodder, if you will, of just things to talk about and subjects to broach with the audience. Killer Bees, our guest, the official 615 podcast. We're recording it at the uh, Omni Nashville Hotel Kitchen Notes. and But you talk about your foundation that is the stand-up routine. That's everything. And and that's something we've talked about. You have to keep feeding that monster where you you need to play the hits, but you also need new stuff stuff as well. Right. Yeah, the, the element of surprise is a huge deal. In stand-up, you know, if I were a singer and wrote four hit songs, I could sell out, you know, venues for 20 years. Mm-hmm. But if you're a comedian, you got to have new stuff. You know how it is when somebody corners you, hey, have you heard the joke about so-and-so? And if you've heard it, you immediately go, yeah, I've heard it, because it's not fun if you know the ending. And then they go ahead. And, yeah, but th- but that's not the joke. Save yeah. up is not a joke. Save up or there's that. Uh-huh. That's not the joke. But you got to have new stuff, because cause you know how it is. If you heard the joke about so-so, no, and then they tell you anyway. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> This, and, of course, they embellish it and do their long version. Like, this is the longest eight minutes of my entire <laughs> But you're working on telling me about the official bootleg, and you're gathering together uh, comics, quote, clean comics, for lack of a better word, yeah, those and, that don't need to go to the F-bombs every other word. Correct. Right. Yeah, and that is something I've learned in my many years in the business. You know, nobody complains because the show wasn't dirty enough if it's funny enough. And it's easy to get a laugh with blue material. It's a higher art form to work clean and still get those belly laughs and and turn that audience into just a tub of goo at the end of your show. You know, I, I want them to be spent and just wasted when I get done with them. So, so maturity comes into it. Spirituality comes into it. I'm at the best place physically right now and spiritually that I've been in my life. And I'm just cognizant of the responsibility that you have when you have a talent or a gift. So I try to, I I try to pay back. God's been good to me and my family. And so we're trying to live it right and do it right. And, and the blessings are coming to us. So, so well done. Yeah. This well is done. the best killer bees y'all have ever seen. Well, what happens? I, I talk about people taking chances in their life. I always talk about uh, like with Garth Brooks, he came to Nashville, got nervous, went back home. So I'm never going to do it again. His wife at the time said, we're going back. What would have happened? Had you not taken that leap of faith and come to Nashville, Tennessee, what would you be doing right now? Well, I wanted to play blues guitar. That's how I got the name Killer Bees was playing guitar in Jackson, Mississippi. But I don't have as good a musical ear as I would have needed to have been a standout at doing that. And I've always been funny. My first time I ever got a laugh was when I was a little baby living in a funeral home in Kosciuszko, Mississippi. And here's live radio. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Coming to get you. That's my ride. <laughs> so, so what is really neat to me about not being too chicken to do stand up because it's terrifying. Right. I I submit that spoken word is the hardest performance art that there is because people have to hang on every single word, every single nuance. Mm-hmm of what you're saying so that they can follow that story in their head. And when it doesn't work, it's devastating. It is so embarrassing and it is so hurtful. So I am proud of myself that I did not chicken out on doing stand-up because it was a gut check every show for decades because it's really hard and if and, and I grade hard, and if it's not a stellar show, man, it hurts my feelings, and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> and because I think the audience deserves top notch when you bring something to the stage. Well, sure. So, do you think you would have so, stayed in Mississippi? And I probably would have. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but years ago, I ran nine one one emergency calls in an ambulance. I did that for three years. I was the youngest person in the state of Mississippi to have that job. I was a senior in high school and I was a guy that worked on you in the back. And what that, and is wow. and is terrible. Yeah, imagine me rolling up <laughs> and you've got a leg twisted off. Like, woo, dude, you look at your leg. Oh my gosh. Let me ask you, what do you weigh? 346 pounds. I'll be dang. Can you crawl over there and get in that ambulance? <laughs> Uh, me and my partner, we were the two littlest guys here, but we were the young guns. We did all the gnarly stuff. But I might would have done something in that field, you know. But I was one of these cats that since I was a little boy, when people said, what do you want to do when you grow up? I had no clue because I didn't know what all the opportunities were. Mm-hmm. I didn't, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't want to pick out of the five or six choices they gave you in Jackson, Mississippi, because there was just something in me telling me, wait a minute, there's more out there. You know, you could go work at the chicken plant. You could be a supervisor one day. You know, you could be the guy that hangs up the signs, report all broken wings. But, but Apprentice I, embalmer? I was a, well, when I worked in the ambulance, well, get this. The ambulance I worked in was owned by a funeral home. And we were stationed at a funeral home. So when I wasn't doing an active call, I was an apprentice embalmer. When I was 17 years old, I've done incisions and raised arteries and ligated, Mm-mm. meaning to tie off arteries. I've done sutures and all that kind of stuff. My dad had a degree in, in embalming from the uh, Gupton School here? of Mortuary Science here in Nashville. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, so uh, so that's why I lived in a funeral home in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, when I was a kid, and I would see sad people come and go. When I was a toddler, these are my earliest memories. I would see people come and go from where I lived because I had no concept of funerals or anything. Mm-hmm. I would see sad people come and go every day, and I had the run of this funeral home, and I learned that if I did silly little cute stuff the crying people would stop crying and come over and smile and talk to me. So I think that that Were you is, hooked at that point? Yeah, yeah. I think that is what has is, is fueled my compulsion my entire life to make people laugh and smile. I don't do as good around stoic people. <laughs> you know, I mm-hmm. think people should smile. I think we should start every day upbeat with the 
faith and the hope that it's going to be a great day God gave us until, you know, 10, 30, 11, when we find out it sucks, just like yesterday. <laughs> but, but it's our Groundhog's attitude. Day, right? But it's our attitude. Yeah. And so, so, so that's how I started being funny was, was as a toddler. Wow. Wow. You listen to the official 615 podcast brought to you by good friends at Wilson County Hyundai. Check them out a lot at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. Payne Bone and his staff down there do an outstanding job of getting you into the right and perfect car. Again, many thanks to our friends at Wilson County Hyundai. How does it make it from the experience to stage? Because you talk about the things in your life. How does that formulate? Because you just don't see one thing and the next day you because you have to develop the depth of you what do. you're telling, how does that work? You do, and the mechanics of being mm. funny on stage. Right. I know lots of people that just hanging out with them or just kill you funny. You know, I've got friends that I just roll when I'm talking to them, but the mechanics of doing it on stage is, is the hard part. So when I come up with something that I think is stage-worthy, I try to project myself on the stage, and that's one of my superpowers, I can put myself on stage in my head and start wordsmithing that joke because that's the most important part of it when you're on stage is that delivery. We've all here. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. And, and you know, y'all know this from being broadcasters. When you do a sentence where each word is in that sentence determines the impact of it. You could flip-flop two words and it have a much more or a much less impact mm -hmm. on somebody, just how, how you wordsmith it. So that's what you do. If it's a viable, funny story, well, that's good, but you've got to wordsmith it so that, so that somebody sitting there watching you say it can follow that line and get that impact. You got to paint the picture in, in their head so they see what it is that you're remembering. I was a prop act when I first started, and learn that if you create the picture in somebody's mind from their own memory banks, mm -hmm. you have a greater impact with the story. If I talk about fishing and hold up a rubber fish, that's all the audience <laughs> sees is a rubber fish. But if I wordsmith a fishing story, they picture the fish in their memory bank that they called or the time they were hung up in a tree. Yeah, you know, and, and so that's what you want to do. You want to make it personal to each person in that audience and that's where it hits hard and, and then they remember you and they're like oh yeah that, you, that's how you touch them okay so Smart. that's so, good how much uh comedy has walmart given you over the years um I, i'm gonna have to say not a whole whole lot because i now i don't like making fun of people i've never been I would rather make fun of myself. Right. I, and I have some. I have a great Walmart story. I have, I have a, a really good Walmart story uh, about a woman whipping a kid's butt with a three-foot-long Slim Jim meat stick. That's what I've heard that. On aisle seven. Yes. Heated the meat stick up. Y'all smell like cookout <laughs> in Walmart. But so, but I saw that happen, you right. know, and, and it's fun talking about it. But I don't like talking. I don't like talking down about people. You know, I, I don't like doing that. I, that's not the kinder, gentler high road, I guess, to take. I'd rather make fun of me and then make fun of circumstance more than people. I'm not a put-down 
climate, right. you know. I like with my my like my grandmother was probably the rudest, crudest, most miserable person to ever walk planet Earth. I have fun making fun of her. It's something like that that's in your family. Can you do that? Is yeah. that worthwhile? Yeah, yeah, but I don't want any audience member to think that I'm making fun of them or their family. And and here's one of the reasons why. This is a um this this is something that I've learned in my tenure on stage is that it's much easier to def- to offend people when you are on stage. I mean, because, because, I mean, just look at it. You're elevated. You're standing above them. You're in a bright light. They're in the dark. You're literally looking kind of down, mm-hmm. talking in a downward direction to them. And the chance for you to come off as uppity, or self-centered is so much greater in that circumstance than it would be if we were sitting across the table from each other, me saying the exact same words in the exact same order. So the 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 threat of coming off as a as a real as an arrogant put down guy is really, really there when you are on the stage and you're coming from there. Great perspective. Right. thought about that. Yeah, so I have to be, and I think we should all be, just my theory, I think we should all be cognizant of that just because of the physical state, you know. I mean, and just think about people out there, they're clapping for me, and if I say something that is just a, a jab at somebody, if we're just in private talking, that's funny, but in front of a whole bunch of people. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, the tendency would be there. It, anyway, much more likely to offend people and hurt their feelings. And uh, like, like I always say, the comics that say, if you're not offending people, you're not doing your job are dead <laughs> wrong. They're dead wrong. They're using the stage for a soapbox or to complain. We're comedians. We should bring levity and relief and release sure. to people. So, Bees, tell me about meeting corporate Terry and how much she is a part where that all began and how much she's a part of what you do now. Man, corporate, one, I'm going to give this shout out to corporate. I, I love her and I'm so blessed that she is stuck by me through the hard time. She has seen me at my very worst. And um, in my 40 years of show business, and I will unabashedly tell you, I did everything you could do wrong. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I lived the showbiz life instead of spiritually being where I needed to be. And she stuck with me and saw through all of that. So that's one of her superpowers. And two, she's young. Her baby pictures are in color. <laughs> and she's left-handed. So it <laughs> makes, <laughs> makes me look bad when we box. You know, but she's been in the, she's been in the comedy industry. We first met in Mobile, Alabama. She was working at the Punchline Comedy Club. I was the MC, just the little brand new guy. And I thought she was the cutest, prettiest thing I had ever seen in my life. And so I flirted with her all week long. So she would get all these comedians autographs. I mean, everybody was coming through there. Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey, uh, everybody, all these cats were coming through there. So so I would flirt with her. She'd go, look, you better quit. You're playing with fire. So at the end of the week, she got my autograph, and I wrote, Terry, I love playing with fire. 
killer bees. Yeah. Now, fast forward 10 years or so, whatever like that, there was a comedy club that opened in Jackson, Mississippi, my hometown. I had moved to Nashville already. Well, lo and behold, Terry was managing that comedy club. So she's got history in the business. And so um, I came down and worked that club, and that's when we started started dating. And of all things, she was, I got to show you something. She opens her purse and pulls this old tattered oh. autograph out <laughs> where I had written, "Hey Terry, I love playing with fire killer bees." So, so then you're so then you're hooked. <laughs> so, do you run jokes past her? You know what? I try not to because she just looks at me like, oh, <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, how are you going to pull that off? Well, well I'm not going to do it exactly like that. It's just, yeah, I know. I don't. She's seen it so many times. She's jaded. You know, like I say, she's been in the business 30 some odd years. So that's perfect. No, I, I, yeah. How many? I know I've asked you, and I think I know the answer 175 cruises. 188. Like I said, 188. Yep. Oh. Yes. Yeah. And that, that was an adventure. So, um, um, you can't escape people on that. On that you, no, you're trapped on them. And Lord help you if you suck on one of your shows. Right. Then you're stuck on a boat with 5,000 people that saw you suck on that show. You know, so so it, it was kind of neat getting to go to other countries. I did Belize and Honduras and Grand Cayman and Puerto Rico and just Mexico all over the place. You know, that was kind of neat. But I didn't like doing those gigs. I, one thing I didn't like about it is that the show was a free show. It's just included in their cruise package. And that audience when the audience isn't vested, when it's a free show, they don't care. They don't pay attention, you know, and I'm serious about the show. I want it to be a good show and I'm not good at going on stage and just reciting while people sit around and don't pay attention. Ooh. So, and there was a lot of that on the ships. So, so anyway, we, we were on one, one time that turned over. That was kind of cool. That count? Yeah. That was neat. So corporate was with me. Corporate was with me on this gig, and uh, generally she doesn't come in. This she's like, dude, I've seen it. I don't, you know, don't be offended. I'm gonna be over, over here doing something else. But anyway, so she was in there because those particular chairs were good for her back. Didn't cause her back pain because she injured herself in UFC years ago, um, <laughs> or maybe it was softball. One of those. Something. Anyway, it was something. Somebody was getting hurt. Anyway, so um, she was in the showroom, so I get off stage, and I walk back to the big opulent granite bar. You know, these cruise ships are all decked out to get my bifocals off the sound booth. And I walk back there, and as soon as I get back there, the ship starts leaning to the right. And it leaned, leaned, and when it went to about 60 degrees and stayed there for a full minute, and from the front to the back of this thousand foot long ship, you can hear everything rolling mm. downhill to the left. There, there's a bar in the back of the comedy club, all the liquor bottles and glasses and everything slid off and just exploded on the floor. And the chairs in the showroom were tumbling down. I saw Terry go by. Now, I'm leaning on the bar. I'm on the uphill side. So I'm just leaning on the bar going, well, she is going to be so mad. <laughs> you know, and somebody actually caught her on the way down and helped her back up so after about a minute the ship righted back and the staffs are going to do i think it was a rogue wave that hit this ship so 
So at this point in time, right after this has happened, corporate goes, I got to go change shoes because she's wearing high heels. And we didn't know if we were going to be in a light in a lifeboat in an hour. So we had to walk the length of the ship back down to where my little cabin in the bottom of the ship was. I could hear the sonar ping from enemy submarines <laughs> from my freaking cabin. Anyway, so we get down there and there, and but on the way there's people down all over this ship. And so my old, my old ambulance day thing's kicking in. I want to look and see everybody. She's like, no, no, come on. So we go down and change clothes and stuff. And the ship was kind of wobbly for, it was squirrely the rest of the night. And so there was another comedian supposed to do a show right after my show. So they had to delay that for an hour or, or whatever. So they could come in with these big vacuums and suck booze and broken glass up out of the floor and put all these, the chairs and stuff back up. And, and they told this comedian, they go, Okay, whatever you do, don't mention what happened. <laughs> and look, he goes on stage. The entire audience is wearing life jackets. <laughs> All the women have that those mascara streaks uh, from crying and stuff. And so, uh, were they vested in that show then? It, yeah, it was either sink or swim, <laughs> literally. So, so. Terrible. He said nobody left. They just all sat and stared. And every time the <laughs> ship would wobble, they'd be like, <gasps> so the next day we arrived, I think, at Amber Cove down in the Dominican Republic. Hundreds of people got off that ship. We could see them going down the big, the big uh walkway thing with their luggage because it wigged them out. People got wow. people that were in their cabins that the door of their cabin was on the downhill side of the of the lean, all their luggage and the furniture fell against their doors. They couldn't get out. The people who the, the swimming pool on Lido deck poured out and the people's whose cabins were under that, the water ran into their cabins. They mm. thought they were submerged. It was terrifying for people. I just so, canceled my cruise trip now. So, go. Oh, but it was great. It was wonderful. <laughs> you know, they gave everybody 25 bucks off their <laughs> bill, so it was, you know, it was nice. I want to ask you this, and, and this uh, I'm not a comedian, but this kind of bugs me. There are less and less open mic comedy nights around the country. Uh why this isn't good i don't think because you know you jeff fox were the others kevin hart i mean there's all these comedians who took that chance and got on stage uh i don't like that and and maybe that's just me does any well, thoughts here's here's what i see i see lots of open open mics around the country more than i've ever seen but very few in a comedy club where the open micers can see the professionals there's open there's open mics in Mobile where I live, and there are no professionals coming through that town. When I was doing open mics back in the day, it was at Zany's or it was at the Punchline in Atlanta or, or the Comedy Club in Birmingham. It was places where the pros came, and open mic night was on the night that the pros went on stage as well. And when you were new, you got to go test your little set, and then you sit and you watch yeah. Drew Carey or Sinbad or Foxworthy or, uh, or Steve Harvey, you know, all these cats, Carrot Top, you know, and you see how the professionals do it. What I see going on in communities these days, because there are fewer comedy clubs, is 
the blind leading the blind. Filthy material at open mm-hmm. mic nights. When I was doing them in the club, you couldn't be filthy. The club wanted to tell you, well, I'll let you do open mic night, but you're not going to drop F-bombs. You're not going to be uh, graphic. That That's not what we do here. Mm-hmm. We're professional. And the guys these days aren't getting a chance to see the professionals because there's a, a right and wrong way to do it. Lots of right ways, mm-hmm. more wrong ways even. And so that's what they're not getting to see. That That's what pains me. I've considered actually doing an open mic night in Mobile just so, there, so there'd be somebody with experience and great jobs. Idea. Great idea. Helping the guys. Um, but I would want to bring pros in so that they can watch how it's done. You know, right now it's just a bunch of guys want to be comics in the same room telling the filthiest jokes they can and try to make other comics laugh and that's a dead end street so that's that's my thought on open mics we need them but we need them to be run by pros and we need the 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 open micers to see professionals excellent thank you for that oh my pleasure you man. seem energized more I am I've, known, energized, I've known you for dude. a while you went through the health scare yeah of, of 20 how many heart attacks between 15 and 20 in a yeah. 26 day period that's not good so yeah yeah that wasn't it wasn't as much fun as it could have been i I did milk it yeah i I played the heart patient card a lot well i still do but i'm a virtuoso with that i don't know if i should take that garbage out tonight honey but the cruises are behind you the cruises are behind me and now it's seeming with the pandemic the opening up you're picking and choosing what you want to do yeah, well, we I changed my life, Joe. Yeah. Uh, Joe, how are you? And, and Greg, <laughs> I I changed my life, man. I I got back right with God, and I'm walking the walk the way I'm supposed to, and I get I get blessing after blessing after blessing because I'm doing it the right way. I wish I had done it the right way 20 years ago, you know, 30 years ago, but but I had to learn this lesson, you know. So God trained me for 40 years now to be this guy. And so, and that's why I'm revitalized. That's why I'm pumped up. And I wake up happy every day. You know, I went through years of waking up going, crap, another day. You know, and now. <laughs> Groundhog's Day. Yeah, yeah. But now I just wake up and I'm like, yeah, good. I got this. Great. I got this. Faith is a big deal and obedience is a big deal. And it will serve each and everybody out there listening. Grand Ole Opry, Friday night. That's right, man. Cool Performing Arts Center, uh, Saturday night. Correct. And then you can go to uh, KillerBees.com to find out all about that. And then uh, late April at Zanies. Right. And Killer Bees is B-E-A-Z because we didn't know any better. <laughs> uh, always the best. Thank you. And we're so glad things are going well. Joe, I love you. Good to see you again, man. You what a great well. you were a union. We got the band back together. <laughs> we did. We got the three musketeers in here again. Oh, uh, that's good. Again, like Greg said, Killer Bees at Grand Ole Opry on Friday night and then Cookville Performing Arts Center. I'm probably going to Putnam County. You know what? I love it. I've played there several times. Yeah, that's I'm great. not a newbie there. <laughs> so good. yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be fun, man. It'll be great. Cause why? I'm killer freaking bees. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it. Again, many thanks to our friends here at the Omni National Hotel for the great hospitality and our friends at Wilson County Hyundai for the sponsorship. Greg, we'll do it again next week. Indeed. Uh, killer bees. Thanks, buddy. My pleasure. Enjoy your moonshine, Greg. Oh, what? I already have. <laughs> oh.